First Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church that he planted in the Greek city of Corinth. And even though Paul was the founder of the Corinthian church, some of those church members were criticizing him and talking behind his back. And the substance of their criticism is summarized in two words from chapter 2, verse 1. The two words are human wisdom. The Corinthians accused Paul of being an unsophisticated uh, speaker and teacher because he didn't come with a polished image uh, like their philosophers of human wisdom. Last time we studied the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where Paul explains the reason why he didn't act according to human wisdom. It's because he didn't think according to human wisdom. And because he didn't think according to human wisdom, he was freed from having to try to impress people. And he was empowered to actually free other people to be authentic as well. Would you please now turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And if you're using the Bible provided for you, this should be on 807 here in Fairfield. And in the three verses that we study today, Paul clarifies that he is not anti-wisdom. Paul brings a message of God's wisdom. Here's what uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, which are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So verse 6 has Paul beginning uh, saying that he does speak a message of wisdom to the mature. Who are the mature? This is one of those cases where we can't know Paul's exact meaning because there are two reasonable interpretations. The first possibility is that by mature, Paul is referring to all Christ-following people. Under this interpretation, uh, Paul is saying that his message about God's wisdom uh, is, uh, is for only believers, because only believers can understand it because they have God's Spirit. Uh, and this is a good interpretation, because if you read ahead in chapter 2, this theme fits in very well with what Paul says about how only believers with God's spirit can really understand and live out God's wisdom. The second possibility is that by mature, Paul is referring to a certain group of Christ following people. And under this interpretation, Paul is explaining why he hasn't talked about wisdom to the Corinthians in the past. Uh, Paul didn't bring them a message about God's wisdom because in the past they have been, and they still are, immature. Uh, 
this is a good interpretation uh, because of what Paul says at the beginning of the next chapter, uh, verse 1. Uh, chapter 3, verse 1 in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. So it's a good possibility that these words from chapter 3 trace back to uh, Paul's reference to the mature in chapter 2, verse 6. In a minute, I'm going to uh, give you my preference uh, between uh, these two interpretations. But before I do, first notice that in either case, the issue is the same. The issue that separates the mature from the immature is God's wisdom. What separates believers and unbelievers is how they think. What separates mature believers from immature believers is how they think. So no matter which interpretation you choose, the issue is the same. In God's eyes, his people must think according to his wisdom. Now, if you ask me, the second interpretation is better. I think it's more likely that Paul is contrasting mature believers to immature believers. I think it's more likely that Paul is emphasizing the truth that he stresses in other letters he's written, and that is that what makes mature believers mature is that they consistently think according to God's wisdom. And what makes immature believers immature is that they consistently think according to human wisdom. But now let's talk about that word mature as it appears in verse 6. Because the English word mature may give you the wrong impression. Uh, the Greek word that Paul uses here is the, uh, the word uh, teleos, which means complete as in a thing coming to its intended end or its normal state. And so by mature, Paul is not referring to a person who has reached some advanced level of super-Christianity. By mature, Paul is referring to normal Christianity, to one who has simply been restored to God's intention. Uh, the process of being restored to God's normal can happen instantaneously when a person is born again of the Spirit through faith in Jesus. Which is why this English word mature can be misleading. Because most of us think of maturity as this function of time, that uh, we think that maturity comes with years, that maturity comes with experience. And as a result, there are some people who think, I've been a Christian for a long time. I must be mature. And you could be seriously wrong. Because the maturity, the spiritual maturity that Paul is talking about has nothing to do with the amount of time that you've known Jesus. And there are some people who think, I have a lot of Bible knowledge. I know a lot about the Bible. Uh, I must be mature. 
you could be seriously wrong because the spiritual maturity that Paul is talking about has nothing to do with how much theological or biblical knowledge you have received and stored in your head. On the other hand, you maybe have only been following Jesus for a week, and so you think, I must be one of the immature because I don't know very much yet. Well, you could be wrong about that because the spiritual maturity that matters to God is not about how much you know. It is about how you think. Maturity is about thinking according to God's worldview. The maturity that God wants for you is to fill your mind with God's wisdom and then live out of your mind. Which leads us to the crucial question. Uh, What is this message of wisdom? Uh, What is God's wisdom? Well, Paul answers this question by setting up four contrasts between human wisdom and God's wisdom. Uh, So let's look at these four contrasts, starting with the first. Human wisdom takes the perspective of today. God's wisdom includes the perspective of eternity. Uh, Paul sets up this contrast for us in verses 6 and 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where he writes, Not the wisdom of this age. No, we declare God's wisdom that God destined for our glory before time began. So human wisdom is a way of thinking that evaluates choices on the basis of the short term. Uh, What's good for me right now, today, in the present? God's wisdom, on the other hand, uh, is a way of thinking that evaluates choices on the basis of the long term, even extending into eternity. God's wisdom leads me to make decisions based on what is best for me in this life and best for me in the next life. Uh, Is your perspective based on what is good for today or what is good for you in eternity? Uh, Is your first priority to tone your body to impress people or to get your soul in shape, a shape that pleases God? As a parent, is it more important to you to have your child devoted to soccer or to the church youth group? Do you act like it's more important for your child to get into Harvard or into heaven? And I know that's a big generalization, but we've got to get specific here. Anyone can say, oh, I always keep an eternal perspective. Anyone can say that. And uh, we can fool ourselves, really. Uh, But thankfully, there is a reliable test that proves what you really think. On this issue, your true perspective is measured by where you devote your time and your treasure. If you want a measurable test of whether your perspective is just in today or whether it includes the eternal, look at how you spend your time and how you spend your money. If you have an eternal perspective, but your time and your money 
don't go to eternal things, then you are fooling yourself. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. If little of your time and little of your treasure goes to God's work in the church, to serving in the church, to reaching eternal souls, and also giving input and shaping your own soul with God's uh, purposes in mind, then your heart is not in eternity. And you do not have an eternal perspective. But that's just Paul's first contrast. Paul's second contrast is this. Human wisdom values only what is seen. God's wisdom also values what is unseen. Paul sets up this uh, contrast in these words. Uh, Not the wisdom of the rulers of this age. No, we declare God's wisdom. A mystery that has been hidden and now understood only by believers. Here, Paul contrasts the human wisdom that comes uh, from the highly visible, prominent rulers of the day and God's wisdom that has been hidden and unseen but is now understood only by God's people. Paul contrasts human wisdom, which values what is seen in this world, to God's wisdom, which also values what is unseen in a relationship with God. And once again, anybody can say, oh, I value the unseen in a relationship with God. Oh, that's me. Anyone can say that. But thankfully, there is a test. There's a test that proves what you really think and what your worldview really is. Those with God's wisdom are measured by their visible peace as they draw upon the unseen resources of God's power, God's presence, and God's promises. You know, it's easy to say that you trust the unseen, but the measurable test is whether you have a peace, whether the peace uh, that uh, is filling your heart is something that is um, constant, even when the visible signs and circumstances call you to worry and fear and be anxious. This is the test. Uh, because drawing on the unseen resources of a relationship with God is what should set Christ followers apart. In this world, those who live by human wisdom have no choice but to follow what is seen in outward circumstances. If there is no peace on the outside, there's no peace on the inside. If it's all angry on the outside, then they're angry on the inside. If it's a mess on the outside, then they're a mess on the inside. But if I live by God's wisdom, I have unseen resources, the unseen resources of God's promises in his word. God promises that he loves me as his child in Christ, that he hears me when I call, that prayer is powerful and effective, that he will never leave me 
or forsake me. That He is in control and has a good plan for my life. And with these unseen resources of God's promise, I can have peace that seems impossible based on the circumstances that are seen. All right, that's uh, the second contrast. The third contrast, Paul states in this way. uh, Human wisdom pursues a life leading to nothingness. God's wisdom pursues a life leading to significance. Uh, It comes from these words from uh, verses 6 and 7. Not the wisdom of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing... No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery, God destined for our glory. Paul here contrasts two opposite directions attached to human wisdom and God's wisdom. And of course, it's easy to say, oh, I'm pursuing eternal significance in my life. But thankfully, um, there is a measurable test to see if that's really your worldview or not. Those who follow human wisdom are coming to nothing, while those who follow God's wisdom are coming to glory as measured by their demonstrations of God's love and God's grace in their lives. So you know you are pursuing glory if you can see some measurable demonstrations of God's love and God's grace pouring out of your life onto the people around you. The Hebrew word for glory uh, means heavy. And, uh, and so the biblical concept of glory refers to what really matters what is truly significant in this life. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus says, you want to know what matters? What matters is love. This is my command to you. Love one another. And then later in this very letter, in chapter 13, uh, Paul says, if I do not have love, I am what? Nothing. Nothing. There's that word again. Nothing. God's wisdom saves me from a life of nothingness by displaying His glory in me, by making me a significant part of His worldwide plan to love this world and share His grace in Jesus through me, through you. Which leads to now Paul's fourth contrast, last contrast. Human wisdom crucifies Jesus. God's wisdom crucifies self. These, uh, this, this concept comes from verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood God's wisdom. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, this final comparison is uh, uh, not stated directly by Paul. It's an implied contrast between human wisdom and God's wisdom. Uh, Paul implies that it was the self-exalting aspect of human wisdom that led those first century rulers to put Jesus on the cross. And Paul implies that God's wisdom calls me to do just the opposite. God's wisdom calls me to pick 
up the cross and deny myself. God's wisdom calls me to deny my selfishness and choose obedience to God's will and God's word and God's plan for my life. Now, just a quick clarification here. Uh, this idea of a crucified self does not mean I kill my personality uh, or my positive dreams and hopes in this world. No. Crucifying self refers to my decision to make pleasing God my first priority and not pleasing myself. Now, anyone can say, oh, I'm crucifying self, my selfishness in this life. But there is a test that measures what I really think. The cross is the place where everyone decides who is the final authority in their life. The crucified life, the crucified self, is measured by obedience to God's word. The measurable is obedience. When I put aside my selfish instincts and obey God's word, I show that God is my ultimate authority. Human wisdom uh, says, I am the ultimate authority for all decisions in my life. I am the ruler. And Paul says, the rulers operating under this approach put Jesus on the cross. Because if they wanted to remain the authority, well, they had to get rid of the competition. But God's wisdom says, God's word is my final authority in life. And if I choose God's authority, then I need to get rid of the competition. I must crucify my selfish self. And so every person of every age must decide whether they will crucify Jesus or the crucify self. Which do you choose? Do you choose to live by human wisdom or God's wisdom? God's wisdom is choosing the eternal perspective, choosing to value the unseen, choosing to pursue significance, choosing to crucify selfishness. This is what I want. I want to fill my mind with God's wisdom and then live out of my mind. But this is easy to say and it's hard to do. Uh, thinking according to God's wisdom is hard for me, just like it was hard for the Christ followers in the ancient city of Corinth. It was hard for the Corinthian believers because their minds had been infected with human wisdom, with the human way of thinking. And by the end of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, it becomes obvious that this human wisdom infection was coming into the Corinthian church through one main source. Uh, the main source was the constant messaging coming from the popular and dynamic philosophers of Corinth. What if I told you that our minds are infected by human wisdom? And that this infection comes from one main source in our day and time. I believe that there is one main source, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because I'm afraid that you're going to be angry and uh, you're going to be mad. Now, I'm going to tell you. Uh, <laughs> if Paul was here today, I believe he would say that our minds are infected 
with human wisdom through the hours and hours we spend passively watching and listening to media in the form of movies and music and magazines and internet linking and streaming, but above all, the media form that most captures our thoughts is TV. Nielsen research uh, indicates that Americans are watching more TV than at any time in history. Uh, Nielsen reports that the average American watches over 30 hours of TV a week. Uh, Years ago, uh, there was a debate about uh, whether watching the rudeness and adultery and consumerism of TV actually made people more rude, um, promiscuous, and materialistic. No one debates that anymore. TV's impact is a matter of scientific proof. Research indicates that uh, TV has a profound impact on our worldview and thinking. And research also demonstrates that we are very naive about the degree to which TV shapes our worldview. And there are many, many studies that uh, demonstrate this impact. But here's one that comes from the nation of Bhutan. Uh, Bhutan is a small kingdom nestled in the Himalayas, known for its uh, peaceful, pleasant, family-oriented way of life. It is so remote that uh, until 1999, uh, TV and public advertising were banned in Bhutan. But then in 1999, the king lifted the ban on TV and licenses were given to satellite TV providers who provided 46 channels to uh, the Bhutanese so that they could get the usual mixture of uh, violence and sexual promiscuity and consumer advertising. Well, Bhutan lapped it up and uh, the impact of TV was felt in a very short time. Uh, Within a year, there was a sharp increase in family breakups, in crime, and in consumer debt. In schools, violence on the playground increased and academic performance decreased. One impact study showed that a third of parents actually admitted uh, that they were spending less time with their families because they preferred watching TV to talking to their children. And this Bhutanese example demonstrates how the power of television shapes us in two ways. TV shapes our minds by what it promotes in our lives, and TV shapes our minds by what it prevents in our lives. First, TV shapes us by promoting Uh, certain messages over and over and over again. And the message TV promotes is not the message of God's wisdom. TV does not promote a message of an eternal perspective that values the unseen, pursues significance, and crucifies self. No, Uh, TV promotes human wisdom and the constant drumbeat that God's wisdom is foolish that it is foolish to think about, the, about eternity and the unseen and spiritual significance. 
that it's foolish to delay sexual gratification or any kind of gratification or restrain any kind of selfish ambition. It is foolish to pursue spiritual things instead of material things. That it's foolish to obey God's word instead of your own instincts and hormones. It doesn't matter if you're watching Modern Family or The Bachelor or Teen Mom or Kardashians or Glee or anything else. Most adult-targeted comedy and drama contains the same messages. That sex is a biological need unconnected to love or a committed relationship of any kind. That smart people uh, get what they want even if it takes lying and cheating and throwing a fit with multiple bleeps for foul language in the process. That the heroes of our culture are those who are vulgar and rebellious and generally rude and selfish. That images everything and that people who take Jesus seriously are fools who are either uneducated or easily led. This is human wisdom. And if we're not careful, these messages infect our way of thinking and make it very hard for us to have a mindset on God's worldview. Now, there are those who are priding themselves right now because you don't even know what a Kardashian is. Uh, You think it's a fast convertible. Uh, You think of the Jersey Shore as just a great place to have a beach vacation. Uh, Yet those who are smug right now, uh, some of you never watch a reality show, but you watch hours and hours every day of news. And this news, you are usually the last one to know uh, that this 24-7 negative talk fills you with hatred toward liberals or conservatives or uh, makes you mean and cynical and angry. And this is not God's will for you. The second way that TV shapes us is by preventing uh, things in our lives. The Bhutanese parents discovered how TV can uh, actually become a great excuse to avoid family time. Uh, The average American uh, believer says that they don't have time for meaningful relationships. They don't have time for prayer, for Bible reading, for serving in the church, or for a community group. Why? Because the average American believer is spending something like 30 hours a week watching TV. That's why. And there are sports fans listening to me right now, and you feel very smug about the fact that you don't know what a Kardashian is. Uh, You don't watch the news, but every free moment you're watching football or basketball or baseball or hockey or golf or car racing or curling, it goes on and on and on. Uh, TV is slowly shaping you by becoming your reason for not developing a deeper relationship with God or others and attending to the most important things in your life. So, between drama lovers, news hounds, and sports fanatics, I should have everybody mad at me right now, uh, (laughs) except the kids. So, uh, let me talk about how I believe SpongeBob is the Antichrist. Uh, He's a holy guy. Uh, That was for the kids. Uh, (laughs) Uh, I'm not saying we should throw out our TVs, but I am saying that before I turn on the TV, I must turn on my mind with God's wisdom. I need to ask myself, is this really the best investment of my time? 
right now. Instead of just mindlessly flipping on the set, I need to ask myself, in view of eternity, the unseen and true significance, is TV right now the best use of my time? And then after I turn on the TV, I must really turn on my mind with God's wisdom. The worst thing I can do is watch TV without thinking. I need to critique the human wisdom in the TV content that promotes bad attitudes and destructive decisions. And I need to critique the human wisdom in the TV commercials that are designed to get me focused on external image and make me discontent with my life and dissatisfied with what I have. God calls me to be mature, not immature. God calls me to His wisdom, which is a way of thinking that leads to contentment and joy and true meaning and peace in life. A way of thinking that leads to a lifestyle of true freedom and eternal significance. This is God's message of wisdom for you. God calls you to fill your mind with His worldview and then live out of your mind. Would you please stand now as we close? God, thank you for uh, wanting so much more for us than uh, we often even want for ourselves. Thank you for wanting and destining us for nothing short of glory. And I pray that you would help us to reorient our thinking and our worldview in a way that will lead us to true joy, true peace, and true significance in this life and leading right into the next. Amen.